we continue in our journey through this book together. Next week we'll be taking a, a break from this and we'll be hearing again from Pastor Carol on the book of Haggai. But for now, I would ask you to stand with me as our text this morning is Galatians chapter 3, the first five verses. Hear now the word of the Lord that is holy, inerrant, and true. Galatians chapter 3, the first five verses. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that You would bless us through Your Word. We ask that You would teach us more of Your Son. That You would glorify Your name in our very lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. You may have noticed something interesting about this text that we read, that for the most part it's made up of Paul's questions. But that's not something that should be new to us. After all, perhaps one of the ways that we can categorize ourselves in terms of generations is in terms of men who ask questions to get answers that they already know. Those of us that are a little bit older in years will remember, of course, the famous Perry Mason. And you knew that sometime around, what, the 20 or 25th minute, or I guess it was an hour long, it would be near the 50th minute of the show, that he was going to get someone on the stand who had no business being there, and unlike what happens in a courtroom... He could always get the person to confess on the stand by asking questions. Isn't it the case that? Don't you really know that? Now, if you're of my generation, it's just a little bit different. A little different suit, a little different accent, and a man named Matlock doing the exact same thing. But even kids can't escape this, right? How many times have your parents come up and asked you a question that you are pretty sure they already know the answer to? Right? Who took the cookie? How did this thing get broken? You see, we use these kind of questions to grab people's attention about something that's important and to let them know that we know the answer and we want them to have to admit the answer to think about what's going on. And the Apostle Paul was no different. This is a rhetorical device that goes all the way back, even predating him. And he asks a series of questions, almost rapid fire, that you know he already knows the answer to because he's really just pressing home the points of the first two chapters. But he wants the Galatians 
to think about it and to admit it. But you see, what he wants to emphasize here in relationship to salvation and justification is the importance of the Holy Spirit. Because when we think about the Holy Spirit, we cannot help but think about the work of God and the grace of God. And that's what Paul has for us this morning. We're going to look at four things this morning. First, we're going to see that the Spirit is foundational for our lives. The Spirit is at the very foundations of our Christian life and experience. Secondly, we're going to see that the Spirit is not just foundational, but that He also completes the believer. He's foundational and He completes our very lives. And part of the way that He does that is by comforting us. You'll see Paul make reference to how the Spirit comforts the believer. And then finally, to Galatians who might be twisting and turning or confused, or to us, he says that the Spirit gives power to the believer. So the Holy Spirit is important. He is foundational. He completes us. He comforts us and He gives us power. This is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, God Himself. Well, let's look then, beginning with how the Holy Spirit is foundational for our lives. Paul begins here by really getting their attention. You'll notice, he says, Oh, foolish Galatians! Probably every translation that you have has an exclamation point after it. And foolish, as an adjective, is something that gets our attention. We don't like to be called foolish. And the, the O here at the beginning of the sentence isn't just something that is overly dramatic, like you might hear, see or hear in a modern Broadway play with the heroine going, Oh! with a dramatic pose. No, this is Paul using a rhetorical technique to get the Galatians' attention and wanting to get our attention as well. Because what he's saying here is, Don't be fooled. You're acting foolish. Stop it. Don't be fooled. He gives them a reprimand. What does it mean to call someone foolish? Well, it's not what we might first think it means. He's not calling them ignorant. They don't know what's going on. He's been talking about the first two chapters, what they know. It's not because they're stupid or dense. This foolishness is really an attitude of the heart. It's what our Lord Jesus Christ says to the two men on the road to Emmaus. He tells them they're foolish and slow of heart because they don't understand that the prophets spoke of Him. They haven't put it to their hearts. They're not using what they know to comfort themselves in a time of difficulty, to give them great hope in a time of sorrow. And that's what Paul is saying here to the Galatians. And he uses very strong language. And we might wonder why. These Galatians are dear to Paul. We've talked before about him founding this church. Why would he use such strong language with them? Why might he use such strong language with us? It's because the Galatians, as we've seen, are flirting with works. They're flirting with being saved by works. And what Paul has told them is if you move toward salvation by works, you are necessarily devaluing the work of Jesus Christ. 
Isn't that what he said at the end of the second chapter? I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. He's saying you're being foolish because you're saying Jesus' work wasn't really a big deal. It's something that you can do on your own. But it's more than just denigrating the work of Jesus. That's what went before. Now what he's going to follow up with and say is that you're also devaluing the work of the Holy Spirit, a work that you have seen in your own lives. You've seen the work of the Spirit. Why are you making it of so little value? He says, I know one reason why. And you need to be aware of it. It's because there's a spiritual battle going on right now. It's a battle going on in Galatia. And it's a battle going on in Katy right now. He says, you're foolish. Who has bewitched you? The language here is very vivid. It's the language of who has given you an evil eye. Now, that may take a bit of explaining to some of us, but I think many of us who come from a Mediterranean background understand that, right? You give somebody the evil eye, you put a curse on them. All of us at some time have probably seen some television show where someone gets the evil eye or a curse, and then they go around the entire rest of the show convinced that horrible things are going to happen to them, and that they can't escape. And everything that happens, they interpret in light of that. You see, that's kind of like what's happening to the Galatians here. They're being confused by others and the devil is at work. And what Paul says here is, don't be foolish. The Spirit is more powerful than the devil. You don't need to worry about being bewitched. You don't need to worry about getting an evil eye. Why? Well, look at the next sentence. He says, It was before your eyes, that is not, just throwaway language, an evil eye, but it is before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. We might think of it this way. Are you concerned, confused, bewitched this morning about something? You can break that spell. And the way to break that spell is to look to the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ breaks the spell of Satan. No matter how difficult your marriage is, no matter how troublesome your children are, no matter how worrisome your job is, the bewitchment of despair is broken by looking at the cross. And that's why Paul portrayed Jesus Christ publicly before them. We might think of it this way. How many of you have had opportunity to drive by our property on Katie Gaston and Karen Lane? How would someone know it was our property and not just a field? After all, there are horses around over in that area. There are even cattle, which amazes me in the middle of Katie. But how do they, does someone know it's our field? Well, it's because it's publicly portrayed, is it not? We have this huge sign, this banner, as it were, future home of Christ church. And that's what Paul says. Jesus Christ has been placarded. Think of it in terms of a billboard. 
Jesus Christ has been put before you in all His magnificence and portrayed as crucified before you. And how has Paul done that? Has he done that through a giant billboard? Did Paul ask Demetrius, the sign maker, to make a huge sign in Latin and Greek and Hebrew? No. He did it through the preaching of the Gospel, through the Word of God. And we anticipate something there. For who is the author of the Word of God? Who is it, Peter says, that bore men along, that they might write the Scriptures, but the Holy Spirit Himself? Jesus Christ, in all His glory, has been portrayed. The power of preaching breaks the spell of despair and works and grind it out life. Preaching has power. There's a reason why we come here each Lord's Day and listen to a sermon. It's not because I don't have anything better to do. It's not because I need to show something for the salary that I draw. No, it's because God in His wisdom has said, through the foolishness of preaching, lives are transformed. Not just the lives of the unsaved, but the lives of His people. It's like Ezra standing before the people, reading the law and expounding it. Jesus Christ is portrayed. And so Paul says, don't be fooled. Remember where you began. And he does that by emphasizing the cross. He says, Jesus Christ has been portrayed before you, but he says he's been portrayed before you as crucified. As the one who has been crucified. It's a perfect tense here. And a perfect tense means simply this. It's an action in the past that has present effect. I'll give you one illustration. You, some of you, have been married. And that's about more than just that day of your wedding, isn't it? It affects you when you wake up in the morning, doesn't it? It affects you when you have dinner, when you talk to your friends, when you pay your bills. The status of being married affects every part of your life. That's what's true of Jesus Christ, having been crucified. And this has been put before us as the Spirit comes by faith. He says, Did you receive the works of the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You began by hearing the Gospel, by hearing of Jesus Christ crucified, and that brought the Spirit. That's the connection. The Gospel and faith and the Spirit, they go together. And what Paul is saying is, that's a practical experience of all of the things we've been teaching in the first two chapters. It's as if he says, you know what I say is true, don't you? After all, you have the Holy Spirit, don't you? And when did He come? How did He come to you? By faith. And He ties the Gospel to the Holy Spirit. Your lives began in Christ by the Holy Spirit. But it's not just that our lives begin with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit completes our lives. Because He then begins 
to ask another series of questions. He asks them one question. You know your life began in, in the Spirit. But are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you start by grace, by faith, with the Spirit, and then hope to finish up by works? You see, that's a temptation for us, isn't it? We're so eager to tell others in the Gospel that all they need to do is believe. And then we think God will not love us unless we do. Or how much God loves us depends upon what we do. And we forget that the Spirit doesn't just begin our lives, He completes our lives. This verse should remind you of another very famous work or verse. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, where it said that the Lord Jesus Christ, He who began a good work in you will what? Perform it, perfect it, complete it, depending on the translation. Until the day of Jesus Christ. Until the very end, God is with you working. The exact same two words are used. Beginning and performing. Starting and perfecting. This is the theme of the Scriptures, that God is with us from beginning to end. There is no part of our lives that, it, that God is not involved in, that He is not at work in. He does not leave us on our own. And you see, the Galatians were tempted to accept a substitute to replace the Spirit in their lives. And why would they be tempted to do this? Well, the answer is simple. If I start by grace, but I stay in by works, I still get the credit, don't I? If the Holy Spirit comes to me by works, then it's a reward for what I've done. If I'm working in an office and I get a large bonus, it's a reward for the hard work that I've put in. And that bonus shows how good I am. How valuable I am to the company. And that's sometimes how we have a view of the Christian life. We think that we have the Holy Spirit and we are blessed in our lives because of what we do. And Paul says, don't accept that substitute. Don't think that the Spirit comes to you and completes your life by works. Why is that? It's because life comes by the Gospel. Paul says that this same faith, this same believing that made you right with God, this same faith that I've been harping on, Paul says, for two chapters, telling you my own personal story, telling you all of the dirt in my life, how vain I was. This same faith is what gets me, Paul, through every day. The Gospel is not just for the unsaved. The same faith that lays hold of Christ receives the gift of the Spirit. You are perfected by the Spirit, not by the flesh. The Christian life is a life of faith. We lose sight of that. God has given you all the power that you need to live in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works among us because the Gospel is about more than just getting saved. 
Because if the gospel was only about getting saved, what would happen to us right after we were saved? The Lord would take us. There's nothing left to do. Why should we bother to live life? But you see, our lives in Christ are testimonies to the grace of God. Testimonies for others to see the Holy Spirit at work in us. The power of faith to bring about the will of God. This shouldn't surprise us because if the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our final salvation, and the Scripture speaks of Him this way several times in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 22, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5, in Ephesians 1, 14, Paul uses the illustration of the Holy Spirit being the earnest money, the deposit, the guarantee of what's to come. You have the Spirit so you know what is to come. If the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our final salvation, and if the Holy Spirit is received by faith, then we know that our final salvation depends upon faith, not works. This is very practical for our lives. Because we are tempted to get on the treadmill at the same time that we're telling others that they don't need to. We're tempted to try and earn God's blessing and favor. And to forget that the Holy Spirit completes our lives. Well, the Holy Spirit begins our life in Christ, and He completes our life in Christ, Paul says. But then Paul asks another question. A very practical question. Something that was probably on their minds. He says in verse 4, Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, he says to the Galatians, are you having difficulty when you think about your lives? And all that you've undergone, all that you've experienced, the difficulties you've had, the practical things like the neighbor that snickers at you, the kids that think that you're a sissy, because you're not bold and manly and trusting in yourself. The people that think that you're crazy for believing in something that you can't see. All of these slights that you suffer. And perhaps there will come a day when even like the Galatians, we might suffer real persecution. Such as our brothers and sisters suffer in China, in Indonesia, and in the Middle East. These things that we suffer, are they in vain? Does this, is this really necessary? Because if the cross isn't necessary, then suffering isn't either. Because it's the cross that brings scandal. It's the cross that makes life difficult. We can think about this, right? No one suffers for being good to other people. For morality. That's popular. What's unpopular is the cross and its exclusive claims that this is the only way to God, that this is the only way to live, that this is the only way of salvation. That's what brings abuse in our day, isn't it? Christians are persecuted, if we can use that word today in our country, because they're exclusive. We are intolerant. And you see, Paul says, 
If you suffer, there needs to be a purpose for this suffering. It's almost as if he says, doesn't it mean anything what you've experienced? You see, the Spirit stays with us through all trials, making our trials and our sufferings not in vain. It makes our difficulties not only bearable, but purposeful. And so we as believers can look back at difficulties in our lives and see that they are a means for us to minister to others. Challenges in our marriages allow us to encourage others who have difficulties. Deliverance from being out of work becomes an encouragement to those who are suffering a similar fate. The Spirit takes our problems, our difficulties, our challenges, and uses it to minister to the body of Christ. Now, notice what Paul does here by putting this question here. It's not just that he's appealing to their experience. He's appealing to their experience in light of proper doctrine. You'll notice he doesn't begin with, did you suffer so many things in vain? He begins with, didn't you know that you received the Spirit by faith? Paul does something that we need to do in our own lives. He takes the experiences of the Galatians and he interprets them in light of scriptural doctrine. We look at our lives and we interpret our lives by the truth. We don't interpret the truth by our lives. Because God's truth doesn't change. The reality of the Holy Spirit, the importance of the Holy Spirit, His role in beginning our life, His role in completing our life, that gives context to all of the ups and downs of the Christian life. Our experience is interpreted by truth. Paul holds out the hope that he has because of the truth that he knows. And this is the Christian's great comfort. That reality is not determined by my feelings or by my circumstances. My circumstances, my reality is determined, interpreted, put in context with the truth of God's Word and His promises. This is the way that we live the Christian life. And what a great comfort that is to us. But it's not just that we're comforted in our sufferings. Because the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, part of the great importance of the Spirit for you today as you go home, and deal with every sort of situation, is to know that the Holy Spirit brings power to your life. We often feel powerless, don't we? We look off at the news and we think, there's nothing we can do about what's going on in the Middle East. We sort of sit and are fearful about what Iran might do, or what North Korea might do with nuclear weapons. We look at sickness and illness and poverty and all of the challenges to life and we view them like hurricanes. There's nothing we can do. We're so powerless. But we also have that in our own lives too, don't we? We think that we just can't get a hold of our lives. We're spinning out of control. There's no way that we can have any control in our lives. The harder we try, the more it seems to slip through our grasp. And what Paul says is, power is found in the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
Look what he says here in verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He asks another question. It's an important question. He says, when you've seen power, how do you see it? Do you see power in your works or do you see power by the work of the Spirit by faith? What kind of power? Well, first, it's power to prove the gospel. After all, what are miracles, wonders, signs, power? But proof that the gospel goes forth with great power. If we think about it, and we think about our theology, it's a miracle that any of us are saved. Dead in sins. Dead in trespasses. You know, the old analogy of the sinner being out in the middle of the lake, going under, putting up one finger, going under a second time, two fingers, three fingers, going down, needing to be saved by a life preserver thrown by Jesus, is completely false. You're not drowning as a sinner. You're not in need of some help. You're at the bottom of the ocean, dead. Your bones have been picked over by the fish. There's no spark of life. You are completely and utterly blind and dead. But God, who is rich in mercy, comes down and by His Spirit breathes life into the lifeless and creates power where there was none and creates hope where there was despair. That is the power of the Gospel. That is a miracle. And we should not be afraid to say so. That it is a wondrous thing. It is a thing that the angels rejoice in. Think about that. The heavenly beings who are in the presence of God in all His glory rejoice to see one sinner saved. Scripture doesn't say rejoice to see a crusade that converts a city. One sinner saved is a miracle. That is real power. But it's not just power to prove that the gospel is life and that the Gospel comes from believing. It's power for your daily life. The Holy Spirit gives you the power to get through today. If you're having difficulties, pray to the Lord that by His Spirit, He would grant you the power you need to meet the challenges He has set before you. Notice what Paul says here in verse 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works? Do you notice what he doesn't say? Does he who supplied? Does he who worked in your justification? No. This is present tense. 
Paul is reminding the Galatians that right here, right now, he's reminding us as we sit right here, right now, that God supplies you the Spirit. That God works with power. Miracles. Another word for miracles here is power. Acts of wonder. That God does that right now in our midst. It's ongoing activity. This is how the Spirit works. The Christian life is a life of power because of the Holy Spirit. Right now. But this word supplies is more than just a present tense. There is a connotation to it. The Spirit is supplied to us that we might be nourished and grow. The word here for supply has the connotation of being nourished fed, strengthened, built up. That's real power. As you grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is real power. You may never be President of the United States or the Queen of England or the King of Siam, but you can have power beyond anything that the unbeliever might imagine. And that power is found in trusting in God, in trusting in His Word, in praying to Him and communing with Him. And so the irony is, you can have unbelievable power as you change diapers, as you babysit children, as you add up numbers on a spreadsheet. You see, you don't need to do something special to have power. Because power is found in growing in grace. In growing in the knowledge of the Spirit. And what a comfort that is to us. Isn't it? I'm so glad that my power doesn't depend on my checkbook or how many people are under my authority or how many people think wonderfully about me, but that my power is found in the deepening of my relationship with God, in growing closer to Him by His Spirit. And this should cause us, as Reformed Christians, to not shy away from emphasizing the importance of the Holy Spirit. So often we are frightened to death of the Holy Spirit. We're so afraid of what they say about the Holy Spirit. What the charismatics do in the name of the Holy Spirit. That we we think, well, we can't even really talk about that. That that will bring trouble. That will bring difficulties in our midst. But that's not what Paul's afraid of. Just because someone else teaches a biblical doctrine unbiblically doesn't mean you abandon the doctrine. Most people don't know this. But do you know what Calvin's nickname was? It wasn't the theologian of predestination. It was called the theologian of the Holy Spirit. John Owen, the magnificent Puritan who wrote The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. The work on limited atonement, you five-point Calvinists, that has never been superseded in centuries. Do you know what his largest work was? 
The man wrote 16 volumes. Two of them are a work on the Holy Spirit. You see, our heritage is not afraid to speak of the power of the Spirit because our lives begin with the Spirit. They are strengthened and completed with the Spirit. We are comforted through our difficulties by the Spirit and we know power in our lives, in our families, in our churches, in our nation by the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is telling the Galatians. He's saying in a nutshell, wise up. These Judaizers are saying that I'm weak and you're weak because, oh, you just believe in faith. You haven't reached the second level yet when things get really good, when you get circumcised and obey the works of the law. And Paul says, that's ridiculous. You're foolish. The Spirit and faith is where power is found. Why is it? In conclusion, it's because the Gospel is not just something that we take to others. We need the Gospel for ourselves today. You will never outgrow the need for the Gospel. Some of you have lived a long time. I've lived a pretty good amount of time myself. How many of you have been able to overcome this nagging necessity for air? Right? You've been breathing a long time, right? So now you all can just not breathe for 20, 30 minutes at a time, right? Not use up oxygen in the room. And you say, that's ridiculous. What kind of a fool would hold his breath thinking he could hold his breath for half an hour? Paul says, it's more ridiculous to think you can live the Christian life without the Gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit by faith. The Holy Spirit works in our lives applying the Gospel to us day after day after day. And that's where hope is found. That the Christian life is not just a beginning. It's a journey with a sure ending. With the Holy Spirit to guide us and empower us all the way through.